0: If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm 142. And the birds are with us. We're trying to figure out how to shut these, uh, these other windows. But anyway, maybe if some of you have an idea about how to deal with high windows, you can look at that at the end because the birds are here. But maybe they'll help keep us focused. Somebody said last time, They had to really pay closer attention to hear me over the birds. So maybe that could be a positive type of thing. So we're continuing our series in looking at our emotions. It's just talking about our feelings. And the reality is is that many of us, well actually all of us, have been taught how to deal with our emotions whether we realize it or not. We are always being discipled. The question is just whom or what are we being discipled by? Who is teaching us what is appropriate? Who is teaching us what is responsible? Who is teaching us what is right and wrong? What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? And around this area of how we feel, uh, we've all received a lot of conflicting information and suggestions and discipleship, and oftentimes we've dealt with it alone, which is the subject of the emotion we're going to look at today, which is loneliness. But before we do that, I think we have the slides here of, of just these eight emotions that we're looking at. I just want to take a second, don't share out loud, but in your own heart before the Lord, what are you feeling right now? Now, just in your heart before the Lord, maybe share with Him just a little bit of, of why you're feeling that way. I know you don't, we're not going to give you enough time, but just maybe you can attach something to that. Now just for a moment what what might the spirit remind you from the word of God right now that would speak to that Alright, we do that, it's not enough time, but I just want to encourage you to consider adapting some type of practice like this into your everyday life. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? And what does the Spirit have to say to me from God's Word about that? This very simple spiritual discipline, I believe, can be profoundly powerful in your life so that you experience the type of intimacy that we find in the book of Psalms. We're going to turn this morning to Psalm 142 as we consider this feeling of loneliness a maskil of david and this maskil is probably just a musical or liturgical term when he was in the cave a prayer with my voice i cry out to the lord with my voice i plead for mercy to the lord i pour out my complaint before him i tell my trouble before him when my spirit faints within me you know the way In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to the Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low... Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we confess now our complete need for you. We bring nothing to you really but our need, trusting that you are enough. Wherever we're at, individually today in view of loneliness. God, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to tell the truth. Maybe acknowledge or be aware of the truth for once. But we pray that the truth of the gospel would reign in our hearts so that we may be set free. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm not really one for cliches, but if you were to guess what song that I might start a sermon on loneliness with, it might be very easy. All the Lonely People. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? All the Lonely People. Where do they come from? All the Lonely People. Where do they belong? Father Mackenzie? writing the words of a sermon that no one will really hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried alone with her name. Nobody came. Father McKenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave, no one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? If you don't know that song, it's from the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby. And it's just this refrain that continues to echo today, even in even in the world. Just Everybody is wrestling with loneliness. I didn't realize it, but Justin Bieber's latest song has a some kind of great profanity in it about this, but I'd heard another version of it, but even in that, so I'm not recommending it, is he's, he's talking about how you can have everything in the world, but really nobody be listening to you. Jim Carrey, the, the great comedian, says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And as this weekend, some of you may think of, well, I don't think of Halloween, but you're super theology people, you think of Reformation Day. This is what Martin Luther once said during that time. He said, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain, and I still tremble. I felt completely abandoned by Christ. I labored under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of saints... God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. And as we look into our text today and we see David, who is David? He's the giant slayer. He is the anointed one of God. He's the one that they said Saul is slain as thousands, but David is slain as ten thousands. And yet where do we find David? Alone. No one is exempt from loneliness. Some of you may think you are, but that's just because you refuse to deal with the reality of how it would feel to receive it. There are people, maybe in this room, but definitely in this neighborhood, who every night they will make a supper by themselves, and they will set down by themselves, maybe a frozen dinner in a microwave, and there will be no one there, and that will be their everyday existence. There are people in prisons right now alone. There are some of you may be singles, others seniors. There are children within homes. There are parents, spouses. There are those who are divorced. There are those who have people they've loved who are deceased. And they are overwhelmed with this sense that no one notices me. And sometimes being with people doesn't really change it. There's just so many songs you could quote here, but, but one says, I always felt the loneliness when I was with others. There's parents who've lost custody of kids, there's kids who don't get to see their parents. There are leaders, very likely, again, people in here who appear very successful, who appear very connected, and yet you don't feel very known. connects to what we talked about last week with shame. And you're, you're lonely, but you feel like if you speak up and raise your voice, then not only will you actually be lonely, but people actually will start to leave you alone. Since 2018, and really before then, if you, if you pay attention to the news and what, people have talked of loneliness as an as epidemic. Some are suggesting with the continued uh, rise of coronavirus and all of the recommendations of separation that it could even be a greater pandemic than this disease that we face. These are just a a sampling to show you the relevancy of this in our world as as it means to be the church that's not only trying to fight loneliness ourselves but to bring the gospel to people. The Washington Post Surgeon General says there's a loneliness epidemic. USA Today, young people report more loneliness than the elderly. The Boston Globe, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. The New York Times, the surprising effects of loneliness on health. The Atlantic, loneliness begins more loneliness. The New York Times, how social isolation is killing us. And Slate Magazine, social isolation kills more people than obesity. The former Surgeon General, Dr. Viv- Vivek Murthy, said this, who was the first one to call loneliness an epidemic, that loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I have all these other reports, but I, we don't have time to go in. Hopefully you're... Convinced, and you probably didn't need convinced other than to just have a heartbeat and to be alive. But you could go to a Christianity Today article in 2018 where they released the results of a study. And, and just to give you the bottom line, one in five report that they rarely or never feel close to other people and that there is not anyone that any, they can really talk to. And again, now we've got this coronavirus, this COVID-19 we're staring down the rise in these numbers, and we're looking at holidays that are coming up. In California, as I understand it, they've already kind of made it, put some legality around the numbers of what will be acceptable. The, the passions and, and opinions surrounding all this are so strong, it puts some people even paralyzed to attempt to do anything. But we're, we're looking at it, however you slice all that, that these couple times a year where people might actually get invited to something where they're going to be in the presence of a large group of other people. Not just a little pop-in visit, but actually get to sit, to be seen, to be served, and to be loved. It's being taken away. Right or wrong. That's not what we're here to debate, but right or wrong. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at some that would tell us to accept, well, that's just the way things will be from now on. As a church, we're scrambling to figure out what it looks like for us to, to live as family, to actually believe that when Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers, is that although the biological family is never to be diminished, is that we're not to say, well, that's the only people we're going to actually be with right now. What does it mean to come to the table together one another so that we acknowledge that we are not here simply to give Bible studies but to actually help people not be alone and be lonely? This is a very real issue. It's not simple. And yet it's vital. The whole story of God tells us from the very beginning that we were created for relationship. Again, we don't need the Surgeon General to tell us this if we read the Bible, is that this is a health issue. It's a holistic health issue. Being isolated from other people and being lonely is is physically deadly. It's holistically impactful to our lives because God created us in His image, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to reflect Him, to relate, to be human, is to be with other people. And though sin enters the world and it fractures the fellowship that we were created to have, from the very beginning, the story of God's redeeming work is that He would bring us about into this fellowship through family. The Voice of the Heart study says it this way, God gave us loneliness then out of this so that we would seek relationship. Loneliness is a feeling that speaks to our deep hunger that God has given us to belong and to be known. Yet sometimes we're embarrassed or ashamed for feeling lonely. But that feeling is the echo of this greater design that God has given us. The pangs of loneliness propel us to find our inner voice, propel us to find this voice that David is crying out from in Psalm 142, to share with others who we are and to experience intimacy with the living God. But we have got to learn to follow the Spirit through our loneliness, not into isolation, but into intimacy with God, others, and ourselves. So how do we do that? The first thing we have to do is we've got to receive the feeling of loneliness all these other emotions. This is a hard one because most of us have adapted and survived life by suppressing our emotions, distracting our emotions, or detaching from our emotions because it's just too much to deal with. It's hard enough just to survive, let alone actually deal with this stuff. And so nothing but grace to you. I'm right there with you in more ways than you could know and still there and trying to grow with this in more ways than you can know. But we see in the Psalms the way of health, the way of being human, the way of holiness is receiving this feeling and telling the truth about it. In this prescript here, that again is a part of the inspired text, a mascal of David when he was in the cave. Now, what an image for what it feels like to be lonely. I feel like I live in a cave. Now, How did David get to a cave? Well, we remember that David was anointed king at this young age. Saul had rejected God and, and refused to repent and turn back to him with his heart. And David was going to be the king after God's own heart, the one that God called that in spite of his youth, in spite of his inexperience, he was God's man to bring about God's victory. And yet Saul is chasing him all over the place now. And David finds himself alone in this cave. So we've got to have this category that you can be anointed and yet alone. That you can be God's chosen child and yet find yourself in a cave. There's some there's some this health and wealth teaching that says you're, you're anointed, all your dreams are going to come true. If you're not living in victory, then you're not living by faith. Well, here's David. He's anointed... And yet he's alone. And he laments. The crowds are not crying out, David, our hero. David hears the sound of silence. Or if he's lucky, maybe the sound of birds. And what does he feel? If we, if we flip up here a couple verses to verse 3, we see him describing this. What the loneliness feels like to him. A, a feigning spirit. Again, there's this physical dimension... To the loneliness at the end of verse three there we see he feels trapped or to be trapped people may see him but they only see him to use him to get at him verse four it says no one is at his right hand now this is this is something what does that mean look to my right and see. why not left well this is not accidental if you look into the old testament and the way that this language of the right hand is used the right hand was to be the place of strength it was to plead a place of advocacy. Uh, biblical Hebrew scholars would say that this, this picture of the right hand is where your legal counsel would stand to advocate for you. It's where if you had a military escort or aid, they would be at your right hand to defend you and to help you. So David is saying, look to my right hand and what do you see? Nobody. Nobody. There's nobody who speaks up for me. There's nobody who hears me. There's nobody there to help me. No one notices him. It's as if he's not seen. It's as if he doesn't exist. Or maybe he's seen and exists, but it's just like scenery. So maybe people go by and wave, but nobody stops to see This is is a big issue in many many, uh, Christian communities. It's where people are friendly, but they're not friends. People are very friendly will shake your hand, make you feel welcome, but not be there to see you and to share with you. So verse 4 continues, there's no refuge, there's no place of escape, there's nowhere to go from that loneliness to find life. And then this sort of haunting last phrase, no one cares for my soul. Now the the use of this soul terminology we know at times is is not just a a pure sort of like soul-body dichotomy, but here David is speaking to that that deeper, like nobody really cares for me. I, I I thought of this as like somebody might bring you food, But they don't bring you fellowship. No one cares for my soul. People are willing to do these kind of like practical things, but who's who's willing to be there for me? David's lonely. He feels disconnected. No one's sharing his experience with him, his story with him. He's in the cave. Loneliness, first off, is not just being alone. Oftentimes it is, but it's not always. You can be lonely in a marriage. You can be lonely in a family. You can be lonely in a church. You can be lonely in a club at school. You can be lonely in a Bible study. You can be lonely anywhere. You can feel disconnected, unseen, unknown, anywhere. Loneliness is that ache of craving for a real relationship, like somebody's really with me. Not just they're with me, but they're with me. It's that feeling of people were present. It's being known, it's being loved, it's being belonged. We could tell many stories here, but I'm just going to kind of bring them all together to show us that rejecting loneliness can lead you to a very dangerous place. One could look at the kid in the neighborhood who is lonely at school and at home, but finds that he can be accepted into a gang or some type of illicit activity. The problem isn't drugs. The problem isn't gangs. Where's the problem? It's loneliness. The lonely spouse who finally gets some attention at work from the opposite sex and is soon in some type of affair... The problem wasn't ultimately in a hyper-sex drive. The problem was loneliness. The successful person who hates their job, but it gets them some type of, to some type of table. And they may not be friends, but at least there's something. The parent whose child will never open up to them and share how they feel, and so, you know, they got some pills one time, and they learned that if they take those pills, they can be numbed out. The person in the church, this is a big one. The person in the church who feels lonely and and somehow follows it down this line of blaming God. And so they reject the faith or move to some type of less biblical version of it. And it's not because they had some sort of like philosophical argument that convinced them that God wasn't true. Because they were lonely. Loneliness is rarely mentioned as the cause behind all these things, but loneliness is powerful. Loneliness rejected will ruin your life. So, are you allowing yourself to feel your loneliness? Where are you? What is your cave? Is it sickness or has it been? Is it some sin? Is it suffering? For many in our culture, it's confusion around issues of sexuality. I can't talk about this, and I feel so alone. Is it shame? Really, all of these emotions, we could look at them and we could say, you know, are you lonely in your anger, and your hurt, and your sadness, and your fear, and your guilt, and your shame? For some of us, you're lonely actually in your gladness. I share my kids this, this meme this past week and my wife, because I was being mean, because I can do that sometimes. And it was this funny meme of when you, when you show somebody a song that you like, and five seconds into it, they're talking about something else. Cody, can you feel me on that? All right, so like you're excited, you're passionate about something, you want somebody to hear it, and then you can just tell they're bored in five seconds. They don't do that to me all the time, just most of the time. But anyway, is, is you, you can feel lonely in your gladness, right? C.S. Lewis talks about the purpose of praise is, it's not, is, is glorifying God isn't really consummated until somebody else joins in that with you. And so it can be, it feel very lonely to be happy about stuff sometimes. And so sometimes joy starts to rise in your heart, and you're like, I want to share this, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, I better not because I'm just going to be disappointed because nobody else is going to care. We got to bring that stuff out and talk about it. You got to know what does your loneliness feel like to you and your body? And how are you coping with it? Because you are. Whether you realize it or not, you have your strategies for dealing with feeling lonely. Again, some of you were taught this from a young age. Go outside and play. Find something to do. Get yourself a girlfriend or boyfriend. Pray harder. Go serve somebody. But quit annoying me with all this lonely stuff. How did you learn to deal with it? How are you dealing with it? What are some of the things you say to yourself to avoid feeling lonely? Start to say things like, I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Whatever. I guess. Never mind. And what are some of the ways you minimize, hide from, or medicate your loneliness? Carton of ice cream and The Mandalorian, season two. That's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad, but just think like dealing with this. Manipulation, maybe. Some people feel really lonely and they start to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to figure out how to have this manipulative you know, relationship with other people. It, you know, it, it may tick them off, but i got to get some kind of response from somebody. And for others, it just has to be said because it's so prevalent around us, if we're going to even claim to be any type of missional church, is drugs, substance abuse, alcohol. You're lonely, you don't want to receive it, you don't want to feel it, you don't want to tell the truth about it, but you've got to do something about it. And how are you faking it? Now, I'm not trying to be Mr. Boomer here, but since the social dilemmas came out, we can do this, right? Not a boomer. Uh, it's, this is the way we fake it, right? Big time, many ways. 2,500 friends... There are people who are so lonely, and I don't say this to be a jerk or whatever, is that really they think their friends are people they've never sat down with in person. It's, it's not a friend if there's no risk of like being annoyed with somebody, if there's no skin in the game. How are you faking your loneliness? Some of you not through social media, some through serving in a church. Some of you deal with your loneliness by saying, I'm just going to shut up. Or I'll just show up. And where this path of rejecting loneliness leads, it leads to two ends. The first one is apathy. If you reject your loneliness, if you don't receive it, then what happens? The impairment of loneliness is apathy. What is apathy? Apathy. It's when you start to say things like, well, it just is what it is. I'm fine. Never mind. Why bother? It doesn't matter to me. Who cares? Voice of the Heart says, Apathy is our defiant attempt to deny the existence of the heart. The degree to which we have put apathy in the place of onliness is the degree to which we place ourselves as separate from humanity and God. Apathy makes us inhuman because it rejects our emotional and spiritual makeup. In the inhumanity of apathy, we become like the great white shark that swims the ocean and consumes whatever is in its path. It does not love, it does not hate, it does not care. Apathy can take many forms. The indifference and lack of concern for the self or others plays itself out in many subtle ways, like leaving another person to clean up after you, Doing the very minimum to get by. Or just going through the motions without any real investment. Yeah, just tell me what you want me to do. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'm just here. I don't care. I'm tired of trying. And this is where it gets scary. If apathy sets in over the course of time, the end of the impairment of loneliness is evil. Is evil. And I say this with all humility. Why are so why do so many of these school shootings happen? You don't have to be a sociologist to go read the things. It starts with loneliness. Loneliness to apathy to evil. Why do kids some kids torture animals? Oftentimes it's because nobody cared for them. Nobody sees them. Nobody notices them. They don't belong anywhere. They feel lonely, so they stop caring. Nothing matters. So evil. If you were honest with yourself, you could probably trace some plots or plans in your mind that came out of seasons of loneliness that you may not have acted on, but could probably fall under that category of evil. I don't think it's as simple as video games where we shoot people or studies, Bible studies where you didn't get invited to the after party. It's loneliness. And you have moved to apathy. So what do we do? Well, we've got to receive the feeling. And we've got to run to the Father. This is what we see David doing in verses 1 and 2 here. We've read these verses. But what does David wield, if we can go back to verse 1, what does David wield in the face of his loneliness? Now this is going to seem maybe too simplistic. And it's going to maybe kind of beg the question. Because you're going to, the question that might be begged is, but nobody wants to listen to me. But notice, what does David wield... As he runs to the father in the face of his loneliness, his voice. His voice. He believes in whom God says he to be as an image-bearer of God who has a voice. He rejects apathy, he doesn't give up, and he rejects evil, that is he doesn't give in or plot to get even. He cries out to the Lord with his voice for mercy. His voice. He leans into this relationship with God where he knows that he is seen and where he is heard. Derek Kidner in his commentary on the psalm says, David, like Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus in the Gospels, knows the value of refusing to relapse into silence because that way lies despair. He raises up his voice. And he raises it up to his Lord, all caps here. So my Hebrew scholars know why do they put it in all caps in our English Bibles is because behind that word is Jehovah or Yahweh. And it's a signaling of difference. All caps is that. If it's not all caps, it's probably Adonai or some other form. And when they call out to the Lord, Yahweh, it's speaking of the personal God of Israel not just generally God or generally Lord like Master. No, this is the personal God who loves us, who knows us by name, who sees us, who calls us, who is full of mercy and compassion, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is the Lord who is with us. David has come to the realization that often loneliness leads us to, that is a painful and yet powerful reality. Other people will always fail us as God. Other people will always disappoint us. Accept it. But God will not. And if we think other people can be God, then ultimately what will happen is we will reject other people and sadly many times you will reject God. But David knows God is the one he can give his complaint to. Isn't it nice to have somebody to complain to? It's very lonely when you don't have anybody to complain to. David can tell his trouble before God because he knows he's valued by God. Nobody else may value me enough to listen. They may want to bring me food, but not fellowship. But God is with me. He cares for my soul. How does David deal with his loneliness? He runs to the faithful father. If we follow this story, what's going to be so interesting is how David is going to be sent these friends and it just so mirrors the life of Jesus, I wish wish we had the time, is that all of these outcasts are going to start joining with David at this cave. The people who are rejected. The people who are on the outskirts. Guess what? The people who know what it's like to be lonely. David doesn't maybe know that yet. The righteous are going to surround him, but it's not the righteous he thought. I remember my first year in college, it was so lonely. I went to Chicago from Chatsworth, Georgia. And if you've not been to Chatsworth, it's kind of a difference. My, my first roommate was from Kenya, great guy, Charles Melissa. But I remember sitting in that room and went to a high school with, with no people of color, zero. And I'm in here, my roommate's from Kenya, and he's speaking in three different tribal languages on the phone almost every night. No exaggeration. And I'm like, where am I? People thought my accent, I was faking it because they had never heard anything like this before. And this is after four years of living in Chicago. That's how I got to this degree of sophistication in my enunciation. I didn't have any friends, and I just planned to leave and go home. I started going to bed at 8 30 every night. No lie. Because my thought was, is I just need to get the day over with as fast as possible. But then God did something. turns out if you go to bed earlier, it's easier to get up earlier. And I remember learning to pray that year in a way that I'd never, learned, never prayed before. And, and honestly, just being honest with you guys, I never have since. Because I'd find myself getting up at 4.30 in the morning. That probably sounds laughable to my family now. I'm more likely to be got to stay up till four thirty. But in that season of deep loneliness, there I was, on my knees by my bed every morning, with nobody else but God, and I found that He was enough. And then I met a friend in those early mornings as I would go to the SDR. Y'all do all the college abbreviations of everything, right? Student, dining room. And he was from Korea. So I would have never guessed that. I was thinking, you know, I saw I met somebody from Kentucky who talked a little weird, and I thought, well, maybe this will be a friend. That didn't happen. But Jin Lee. And he began to be my friend, and we would work out in the gym. We would laugh. I remember he listened to me practice my first sermon in the janitor's closet on floor five of our rooms and critiqued me compassionately. And he was the only reason I came back to school that next year. Now, we hadn't talked in 20 years, so real deep friendship. But a friend can change everything. Sometimes it's God who is that friend alone. That's not his design. But David found that he was enough. God may use your loneliness to draw you closer to him in a way that you never would have before. God's not using that. God's not manipulating you. But God is desiring to walk with you. The only way you can run to the fathers, is you've got to reject apathy. Uh, one of my, I, again, I, so many things I can't recommend, but anyway, Elliot Smith, some of you may know this singer, he and his buddy, he would eventually kill himself, and one of the things that his friend and roommate for a time said is they were both depression junkies. So had a drug problem, they said a bigger problem was they were a depression junkie. That is, they, they kind of got where they liked the feeling of being alone and depressed. And they leaned into that apathy. And what the evil looked like in the end for him was killing himself. The invitation today of the Father is to come to him. To feel the feeling, to tell the truth and give it to him. To use your voice, knowing He's with you, and pursue others. Step out of your toxic shame and go to somebody and say, this is my need right now. Go to someone and say, I feel lonely. We are not a perfect church. You will feel lonely in this church at times. But what we do want to say is that you have permission to do that. You have permission to say, I feel lonely in this church. And we may initially be sensitive and give reasons. But give it enough time and we'll be the ones saying that back to you. And realize this, that when we do share about our loneliness, guess what? Usually other people feel less lonely with us. When we tell our stories of loneliness, we look around and we find, oh, (laughs) everybody's felt lonely. You felt lonely as single, well here's how I felt lonely as a spouse. You felt lonely with kids, here's how I felt lonely without kids. You feel lonely as a student, here's how I feel lonely at my job. And all of a sudden what the enemy would want to take and use to divide us, we can find that Jesus gives us unity in. But we've got to let others pursue us as well and not have it be our way. Some people say, I will allow people to pursue me but only in this way. Only at these times. And then one person watched a TED talk on this I thought it was so good, it wasn't necessarily from a Christian perspective, but I think it's so biblical, as they said, one of the biggest ways to overcome loneliness is you have to have ritual in your life. And what they meant by ritual is repeated action with intention. So just so you know, it's not, uh, it's not hyper-formal to schedule being together. One of my pet peeves is when people say something like this, I feel so disconnected with what they're really saying is I'll only accept spontaneous connections that I deem as genuine. So I know y'all meet on Sundays for Sunday gathering. I know you have a family meal every week. I know you have these things called fight clubs. And I know you do all this stuff. Yeah, I don't really have time for that. It's this wish-dream of community. It's this immaturity that says if something is put on a calendar, then it doesn't really count. But if you look in the history of the world, if you look in any type of relationships, Christian and non-Christian, if you want to have intimacy with people, then you're going to have to physically show up. And you're going to have to realize that community and closeness is not something that just magically happens. You don't know when it's going to happen. You have to be there and you have to be intentional because I'll just tell you right now, even as a pastor and a leader, I've left many Sunday gatherings, fight clubs, and family meals and felt just as lonely as I did when I went. You have to show up and you have to be present. You've got to learn to be a friend. Henry Nouwen says it this way in his book, The Wounded Healer, he says the the answer to loneliness is a hospitality where we have openness to one another in prayer. And we do so and receive the gift of intimacy. Now intimacy is not intensity. This is a big confusion. You can do a lot of things with people and not be close to them. You can climb mountains together, you can build bridges together, you can pave roads together, you can serve the poor together, you can do holiday events together. Intensity does not equal intimacy. Proximity does not mean intimacy. Some of you lived in a family of origin, and you don't know anything about each other. Some of you may live in families now, and you're like, what do we really know about each other? What intimacy is, is it's being known. And then once known, it's still belonging. If we want to step out of loneliness, we've got to go beneath the surface. We've got to learn to ask one another good questions. always makes me feel awkward but anyway I think some super cool preachers do this all the time though don't they I feel weird I'm trying to use humor to diffuse it and it's not working that's called intimacy I'm letting y'all see what's going on inside me right now and it feels really awkward to do that right so it's going to be weird sometimes it may feel easier to exist in loneliness But in Genesis 2.18, when God looked upon a creation that he said was very good, there was one phrase that surprises us. It says, and he said it was not good for man to be alone. Now, some people would say that simply because he finished naming all the animals, that this is merely a, a comment on the ability to procreate. So, all right, all these animals have a match so that they can multiply. The man doesn't have a match. And so there's likely some issue in that that's, that's true, and there is some connectivity, but I think it speaks to so much more. Because when we see this great mandate that was given to creation, not only to multiply and to fill the earth, is we realize that it was given so that the glory of the Lord would spread to the very ends of the earth as the water covers the sea. That love would be displayed. That intimacy would be known. But the only way that we're going to get there is we have to admit that we feel loneliness. We're going to have to learn to be present with God. If we can't write out psalms like this, that's just a good sign that we've got some work to do. Like I've told you guys at times, i got to set a timer on my phone. If I can do three minutes just sitting there doing nothing, I feel like, hey, that's a good start for somebody like me. We don't know how to be present we we don't know how to exist without our phones without noise but if you want to deal with loneliness you're going to have to learn to be alone i know that might sound backwards but that's the paradox if you're going to learn to fight loneliness you're going to have to learn to be alone you're going to have to embrace solitude which is different than isolation you're going to have to learn to be with others present I'm, I'm telling you right now, this, this is just not healthy and it's not going to cut it. Let's have a conversation, Cody. And we're sitting here and my phone's right here. And every, every five seconds I'm doing this, looking down at it. Like we accept that. That's not healthy. That's weird. And we wonder why we're lonely. We're, we're everywhere but we're nowhere. We don't know how to be alone with ourselves, alone with God, or alone with others. And we feel lonely. We've got to learn these things. That may look like for you setting a timer on your phone. It may look like you setting a time for other people just to sit and ask questions. How can we do this? And It's the good news of verses 6, 5 through 7. We not only receive... The feeling of loneliness, and we not only run to the Father, but we have to rest in faith. It's going to move really quickly here, but David finds and expresses that God is his refuge. He has a hiding place, his portion. He has enough when it feels like there is nothing and no one. He calls out to God to attend to his cry, for he's brought low. He's honest about his need. He's not papering over it with some churchy cliches. No, he's saying, I am brought very low. And yet he crawls out from his honesty in the cry of hope. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. David knows he cannot do this himself. And he asks for God in verse 7, deliver him then from the prison of loneliness. This cave he's stuck in and he says, God, bring me out of this prison that I may publicly give thanks to your name. And when I come out of my loneliness knowing that God is enough, I didn't need anybody else to be God for me. Then now all of a sudden when I don't make others God, now all of a sudden I get to experience a community with other people that is not based on my insecurities and sensitivities, but is based on the stability of God who is with me. I don't know if this is true or not, but Charles Swindoll, a pastor some of you may have heard of, said that there was an ad in a Kansas newpa- newspaper at one time that read this, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. Somebody just put that ad in the paper. And said, did anybody call? He said, it wasn't very long before this individual was receiving 10 to 20 calls a day. That the pain of loneliness was so sharp that some were willing to try anything for in half an hour of companionship there may be some of you this morning who'd say i'd, I'd pay ten dollars to have somebody listen to me so how can we trust that god's going to listen to us if nobody else will it's because Ultimately, God answered the prayer of David here in a deliverance that would far exceed any deliverance from Saul, and it came in the person of Christ. Do we realize that Jesus became lonely for us? In his incarnation, he became a needy infant. He was entirely dependent on his parents to feed, clothe, and shelter him. He was potty trained by his mom. He was learned, taught, that is, to speak and walk. And then he went into a life where he traveled with his disciples, whom he calls friends. But they so often just misunderstood him. Even challenged him at times. And it must have been so lonely to feel like they never really knew me or got me. And then he went to a cross where on the way he was betrayed by his friend Judas. He was slept on by his closest three, John, James, and Peter. Even when he pled with them, just watch with me. Just stay awake. Just be with me. Then he was denied by Peter. As the shepherd was struck, the sheep were scattered. But he never went to apathy. He never said, well, I, nobody else cares, so I don't care. And he never went to evil. Although he could have called upon a legion of angels to come and knock everybody out and win the day and put everybody in his place, he gave us grace. He gave us grace. And could there be a more lonely scene in the history of the world than the cross? And yet there he hangs lonely for us. And yet could there be a more life-giving scene than the resurrection? The righteous will surround me. And as he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he gives us the Spirit so that now we look and at our right hand we have an advocate. We have a helper. We have someone who pleads for us when we don't have a voice, who gives us voice, and who walks with us. And one day he will return and we will actually be with him and be with others. It's going to be awesome. Because of the power of Jesus, we can now learn to be alone. Learn to be with God and learn to be with others in the imperfect mess of it all. And yet in the beauty of the kingdom now even as not yet. In Psalm 68, 5 and 6, we hear this, that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And then he says this, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. So this is my plea for us as a church is that when we talk about being family is that we we don't lose that just because it's not perfect. The busy family person is lonely. The single, the senior, the successful, the divorced, the grieving, the child in our neighborhood, the addict, the leader. You, me, we need each other. It's worth the mess. It's worth figuring out. we start by receiving the feeling, running to the Father, and resting in Christ. God, help us. As we come to the table now, help us to know again you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians 10, Paul says that when we come to the Lord's table, we're not merely sharing in a bread and a cup that remind us of something, although it does. We're participating in Christ. There's a sense in which He's always with us, but when we come to the table, this is the way He said, I want to be with you together. So if you would bow your heads just to prepare us as we come to the table. Would you ask yourself, where am I lonely? Lonely for God? Lonely for others? lonely for self How would you ask yourself where is Jesus in that loneliness how do I know Jesus is with me in that through the gospel As we come to the table today, I'd ask all who are followers of Jesus to take the bread and the cup remembering he is with you and to share from that together and rejoice in his presence, honestly and yet with hope. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you would come and gather and stand with us, though not taking the bread and the cup because it's a picture of faith in Christ, but hearing the gospel and hopefully coming to Christ. Father, as we come now to the table, remind us again that it is finished. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go now to the Lord's table. If you're new here, just follow someone and it'll be uh, explained.